Hello and welcome to the Winning a Business podcast. If you're an existing listener, you may have noticed we've taken a break for a few months and you might be expecting series five of Hitting the Wall podcast. We took some time out to focus on the business and it became clear that it was time to refresh things on the podcast with more focus on what winning looks like. Still inspired by my best-selling book, Hitting the Wall, we're going to talk all things winning and what's involved to win at business. In my time as a professional tennis coach, I never once coached a racket or a ball. It was always the player. Business is no different. It's a game, one you can win or lose. Our episodes will focus on what's involved in playing the game of business effectively, and most importantly, how to win. Each episode will be a conversation with me, alongside my co-host and producer, Shirley Heron, an experienced owner and coach herself. From buying psychology to overcoming internal barriers to marketing and building your team, we'll aim to cover all aspects of what's involved to play the game to the best of your ability. So sit back and listen to these short, sharp, punchy episodes. And please let us know what you think and what topics you'd like us to cover. Hello and welcome to Hitting the Wall, the podcast that's aimed at small business owners, helping them break through the barriers they need to break through to win at the game of business. I'm joined today by Marcel Pedipa. How are you, sir? I'm great, Ash. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. And I'm so glad I got your surname right there so we didn't have to re-record because that's always a little bit embarrassing. So look, Marcel, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to just uh, take a minute, uh, have the stage, uh, let people know what you do and, and the change that you're, you're trying to make in the world? Yeah, that's a, what I do, what a complicated, a simple question with a complicated answer. Primarily what I do is I help uh, small agencies, freelancers, professional service business owners improve their profitability and understand how to make more money with less time, um, be profitable and scale their business without headaches uh, as, it re- as it relates to operations and cash flow. I'm also the head coach at an organization called SAS Academy run by a guy called Dan Martell, where I've coached over 300 business to business software as a service companies. And I'm also the fractional COO at Goldfront, which is the world's only category creation studio where we work with brands like Nike, Adobe, Uber, Slack, etc., um, helping them create and dominate their categories. So a lot of different things, um, but all, all focused on helping businesses do better. Superb. Yeah. Busy man. Really busy man. I like mm-hmm. that. I like that. That's cool. So just, you know, we were talking off air about, you know, audiences and some of the stuff that we can talk about. And the thing that really grabbed me and why, why we wanted to get you on is probably the first line, you know, how you've got, you know, I've got this thing here. How do you, how do we avoid late nights and weekend work while maintaining healthy margins? Let, let's stay, let's start there. And let, let's start there with why is that even there? Why, why are people even, why is this even a problem? Yeah, it's a good question. So this is primarily focused on people who are selling time, essentially. So if you have a skill, right, whether you're a lawyer, an accountant, a a web designer, a graphic designer, a photographer, if you're selling a service, and the definition of a service is that it requires skilled labor and time in order to provide the outcome that you've sold or promised to the client, then a lot of times uh, this foundation for a business like that, that doesn't really get addressed until it starts creating a lot of problems is the ability to accurately predict how much time and effort it's going to take to get something done for a client. 
And oftentimes, especially early on in the business, you find that the owner is subsidizing a lack of proficiency at scoping projects by trading their evenings and weekends in order to make up for the fact that, oh, you know, we underestimated this project and the deadline's on Friday. Of course, we all know the deadline is rarely the elastic part of a project. And mm -hmm. what that ends up uh, resulting in is people having to work late nights and weekends in order to get things across the finish line for clients. And we typically see this continue to be a problem as a small team is built. And a lot of people kind of have this belief that that's just the way it is when you're in the service industry. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way. There are processes and procedures and tactics um, and frameworks that you can use to actually get a lot better at scoping work. And if you can do that, it sets such an incredible foundation for the operations of that business and allows you to scale and do so without uh, you know, cannibalizing everyone's personal life. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a really as a really interesting um, way of looking at it because it's it's probably one of the challenges that I find myself working with my clients and our members to overcome all the time. This principle of sort of one undervaluing what they're worth, so therefore not positioning the the fee point at the right place, um, and two massively overestimating how how quickly and swiftly they're going to get that job done. And then three, and a desire to please, allowing scope creep. Mm -hmm. So you, you end up pitching for a job, saying yes to it too cheaply, and then allowing the client to add stuff on without the deadline moving. And I, I see that as a, as a real, real, uh, it's something that, you know, we've all done it. We've all done it. And I find it fascinating that you see it as something that people take as accepted when, you, when you're starting a business. Well, that's just what you have to do when you're kind of starting a business and kicking off. So how, how, what, what would be a tip? I mean, I'm sure you've got dozens, but what would be a tip to one, recognize that and to start to mitigate it? Yeah. I mean, the first is measure it. Um, you know, that's a, a pretty simple statement, but I ran a survey on LinkedIn recently had a few hundred responses, over 10,000 people saw it. And I asked the question, the simple question, should agencies track time? And it's one of the more controversial questions in the industry. And, and about 50% of people said yes, about 35% of people said no. And the other percent said, I had an other, which was, um, it depends. And then I asked them to leave a comment and explain what they meant by that. But the fact that it's almost you know a 50% split between yes and no is kind of alarming. And uh, just there's just not a lot of agencies, especially small ones, especially ones where maybe it's just like an owner with maybe a couple of freelancers they work with. They're not tracking the time that it takes them to do work. And without that data point, you know, you, you really don't have a reference that you can start to look at to understand, like, where am I good at making assumptions and where am I bad at making assumptions? And just having even if it's at a very high level total hours on a project versus total hours you thought it was going to take. Just having some data points gives you some information to start asking good questions and start talking to, you know, if you have a small team, start talking to the team and asking, why didn't this go the way we thought? Why did it go better than we thought? And being able to just have some information to investigate where you're making really bad assumptions is the first step. And it's the 80-20 of this whole thing. Some very simple high-level uh, measurement will give you a lot of insight. And uh, that is the first place that I would start is if you're not measuring your assumptions versus reality, just start doing that. 
Yeah, no, and, that, and that's really cool. I think that's a great starting point because it's too easy to kind of blame the client, I suppose. Oh, they've thrown more work on me, all the rest of it, or you start blaming your suppliers. But actually, you know, it's your business. You're the one who pitched to it. You're the one who put the proposal together. Fundamentally, those errors are going to be down to you. you, you and if it happens over and over and over again, it's probably not <laughs> the client's process that's uh, <laughs> yeah. at fault here. Yeah, completely. I, I, I totally agree with that one. So I was, I was going to um, ask how, I mean, you, you've already sort of, you know, that's a, that's a fantastic tip. It's really useful. Great insight. How did you get to where you are now? Let's, let's talk a little bit about your journey. You know, what, what, what have you done to position yourself in, the, in this place to help the people that you're helping? Yeah, so it, it's really an interesting story. I, I discovered this problem because I had it myself. My first ever like real business was a, an agency and I was doing virtual reality services for real estate. And so this was kind of before it was really easy to do a 3D tour of a house. You needed a DSLR camera with special equipment. You had to take a bunch of pictures and you had to stitch them all together into a 3D image and then load those into a virtual reality software. And you know it was a lot of work to do a 3D tour. So I was offering that service to real estate agents. And there were really tight margins because at the time it was a very soft market where I was. Houses were sitting on the market for two, three years at a time. Agents were having trouble selling them. And so there was a lot of pressure for them to reduce you know, the amount of money they invested into a listing. And I found myself in a position where I was trying to really measure how much money I was making on projects, how much time I was spending. I was trying to figure out how to scale the business and hire other people to do it. And very early on, I realized that I, I couldn't scale that business with the prices that I was able to charge for that service. I ended up walking away. And at that time, I became viscerally in touch with the reality that there are very important, very simple questions that agency owners and, and professional services business owners need to answer on a daily basis that can't really be answered without building spreadsheets. Things like, did we make money on this project? Do we have the time to take on a new one? Do we need to hire somebody? If so, when? What, what can we afford to pay? right? What is our margin like on these things? Those require financial data from your accounting software and time tracking data from somewhere else. And you got to cobble it all together. And it's really, really hard. So I became aware of that problem. And then I had a friend of mine who runs a web development agency who came to me and had the same experience and said, look, I'm tired of building spreadsheets to answer these questions. I can't find a good solution. I can't even really find good information on this. We should do something about this. So that set us down this path of asking the question, how can we solve this problem for agencies? And it started with being one of the only people that actually talks about this nuanced stuff. You know, there's a ton of people writing blogs and doing podcasts and running masterminds around, um, you know, agencies and coaching agencies and coaching professional services. But so much of the information is focused on getting clients, which I understand. That's the thing that most people are yelling the loudest about. But once you figure out how to get clients, you have to figure out what to do afterwards so that you actually make money on them. And I found that there was not a lot of good information out there. So we spent the last three years publishing really detailed blog posts, trying to create a lot of clarity on exactly what your gross margins should be, exactly how to calculate that, what does and doesn't get factored into someone's hourly cost you know, per hour, all those kinds of really nitty gritty details about running the operations of the business. And we started building software and doing consulting around that as well. So it's been a, a long journey of really just saying like, we want to solve this specific problem and just diving as deep as we can into it and, and being maniacally focused on that subject matter. And, and I think what you've highlighted there, one of the challenges that a lot of um, business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever, you, whatever label you want to put at them, um, you, 
but especially in that creative space, whether you, whether they're an agency owner or, or a creative, they don't do detail. Uh, and and you know when you 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 can put spreadsheets in front of them, you can even put software in front of them, but ask them to actually look at it and read it and analyze it. Um, that's not going to happen. It's 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 a really difficult thing to get to get people to really. Um, get down into the nitty gritty of the boring stuff because it's, you know, selling is sexy. Marketing is sexy. Going up on stage and pitching is sexy, all that sort of stuff. And that's where they want to be. So you have to kind of get other people around you who get, you get geeked out on the detail. I, and I'm, I'm really lucky. I'm, I'm, uh, I think so. I'm, well, I'm married to an accountant and she gets geeked out on the detail. In fact, she, she is technically a forensic accountant. That's what she does. She investigates fraud. So she, she, she can really dive in, in into that detail and, and do it all for me because I'm not interested. Yeah. I, I, even though I need to do it, <laughs> I'm not interested. But what I'll do is I'll find someone else who can do it for me and then give me the top line figures so that we know the business is working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point that you raise. I think a lot of folks, um, the, the story that we hear all the time is, you know, I started this business because I, I loved making websites or I loved running Facebook ads. And next thing you know, I had a team of eight people and I realized I had to learn how to run a business. And that's not, you know, what I got into this for, but that's what that's my job now. And I have to figure out how to do it. Um, and it's a really common story and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think there's a point in time when as an entrepreneur, you know, you've got to realize that you have other people's lives uh, and livelihoods that depend on your ability to properly manage the business. And it doesn't have to be a full-time thing. You know, you have to spend all day with your head in spreadsheets, but there are things that you can do uh, to make it less friction to answer these questions. I think one of the challenges, one of the reasons that most people don't do a good job of this or most agency owners don't do a good job of this is they're making it harder for themselves than it has to be, right? They're not putting a lot of thought into how do I, des- how do I design a scope of work and structure that? And how do I design the way that my time tracking works so that when I hold those two things up next to each other, they look similar. So I don't have mm-hmm. to you know, transform the data a million different ways to answer that simple question of like, did it take us as much time as we thought to do this thing? And when I set up my, my accounting or when I hire my accountant and work with them to figure out my PL, am I structuring it so that I can just look at it and get the answers that I need right away? Yeah. And I think if you can put a little bit of thought into that upfront, then you can probably do your diligence in less than an hour a week or you know, even less than an hour a month if you structure it properly and you have the right cadences set up. So it doesn't have to be a super involved thing, but it does take a certain level of understanding to even know like what you need to be looking at, what questions you need to be asking, and that's you know that's where we try to help with our content. Yeah, and, and I think before the sort of understanding becomes becomes self awareness, you, you need yeah. to want to do it, don't you? You need you need to recognize it as a problem and see that there's a solution and actually choose to do something about it. And I think often people will just bury their head in the sand because that's the easier yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And our experience with this has been most people don't really start looking for a solution until they're hitting their first. So there's there's a couple of really distinct growth ceilings that we've identified in professional services businesses. The first one is right around that, like between six and 10 employees. And that's essentially when the owner can no longer have everyone directly reporting to them. You know, like mm-hmm. we, we know it's fairly well documented that a manager is becomes very ineffective upwards of six, seven reports. Um, so generally as a business owner, everyone's reporting to you until that point. And then you're having to place 
someone between you and the end result that's going out to the client. So that's a hard transition to make. And it requires you to have some level of information to help you start to choose where you're going to solve problems, right? You're, you're getting to a place where you can't be directly involved in every problem. So you have to figure out how to objectively assess all the different things that are going on and pick your battles. And that requires, you know, some level of reporting and data and structure and cadence with your team. Um, and that's usually when we start hearing from people because they can't, you know, the, the owner can't compensate for the poor management of the business anymore with just their time. They, they're reaching a breaking point there and the pain becomes so bad that they need to find a solution, you know, or they're, they're super, super busy and there's no bank, there's no money in the bank account. It's like, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard this before. It's like, we're busier than we've ever been. We're selling crazy amounts of work. Everyone's running around like, like chickens with their head cut off. And yet I'm worried I'm not gonna make payroll next week. Like, how is this possible? Yeah. And it's possible because you're not managing the business properly. So usually you can kind of fly by the seat of your pants until you get to seven, eight, nine, ten 10 employees. And then if you haven't addressed some of these basic fundamentals in a service business, they will start to cause problems painful enough for you to actually want to figure this stuff out. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it, it's that dichotomy of we can sit here and talk to people about getting those first principles in place, I guess. Um, yep. You know, until we're blue in the face. And at a level, people understand it. And and and, they're, and they'll be sitting and listening to this and nodding their heads and go, yeah, 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 I know this. I know this. God, you're not telling me anything I've never heard before. But they won't necessarily do some, anything about it. Mm. So how do you you know you're starting out you're hearing this you know there's a load of work that needs to be done to start to get the business to function by itself so that you you're not required and you can get the data or you're you're in a position to interpret the data that somebody else is doing for you so how do you how do you start deciding which systems which processes you you implement first in order to facilitate yeah. So that's a really, really great question. And so this might be a long answer. So feel free to cut me off if you want to break this up a little bit. But um, from my perspective, we have a framework for this. We call it the agency profitability flywheel. And I use the word agency because, you know, we, we want to be specific about our marketing. That's marketing 101. Right. But right. this applies to if you're an accountant, if you're a lawyer, if you're selling lawn mowing services, if you're cleaning gutters, it doesn't matter what your service is. If you're in a service business, it's all essentially the same. And the profitability flywheel has four steps to it. It starts with estimation. Um, and so the first step is really looking at the inputs, right? What are the inputs that your business then has to deal with on the back end and controlling and standardizing the way that those inputs are created and structured and the assumptions that are made around them. So um, the estimation step is around creating a process for how you estimate the scope of a project, how you actually structure the, the format of that estimate. I don't mean like the font that you use. I mean, you know, <laughs> what, what levels are you rolling things up to, right? Are you rolling them up to functional levels of skill? So is it a project management, like how many hours for project management, how many hours for design, how many hours for um, engineering, how many hours for account management, or are you thinking about it more at the task level, this many hours for doing this thing, this many hours for doing that other thing, right? So create some standardization around that because that is going to set the foundation for other systems that you build in your business around that, like time and cost tracking, like reporting, like you know your project management tool. So start with creating a really tight process for how you estimate projects, how you create that document, 
and really get comfortable with that, that is definitely the first step. The second step is then set up your tools to measure if those assumptions are accurate or not, so that you can be clear and objective about where you're doing a good job of making assumptions and where you're not. Um, and the big key there is again, making sure that those things look similar enough that there's not a lot of friction to answering that question. And the most common thing that we see, nine out of 10 agencies we work with, we go, show us your estimate. They hold it up, cool, it looks like this. And then we go, show, your, show us your timesheet. And on the estimate, it says this many design hours, this many PM hours, this many um, programming hours. And then we look at the timesheet and it's like time tracked against some random task that has no association to a functional skill level. And so it's like, okay, cool. If, if you wanna answer the question, did we estimate this properly? You've gotta spend an hour cleaning up this data. So of course you're never gonna do that. It's just too much work, it's too much time. So make sure that those are structured such that they're similar enough that there's no resistance, no friction to creating that feedback loop that's very objective. Once you have that in place, then you have data to actually tell you where the biggest opportunities are. So you can go and say, okay, we're doing a really good job of um, the discovery process when we build websites, but we always go over budget when we do the build, specifically on design. For, for whatever reason, we always go over budget on design. Well, now you can go and sit down with your design team and have a conversation about, hey, it seems like I'm having a lot of trouble figuring out the scope of designing a website. Let's have a conversation about what we're missing. Is there anything we could be doing more efficiently? Is there anything that I'm forgetting to ask in the discovery process to figure out the scope? Right, you can start to actually talk to the team and uncover where the opportunities are to change your process, improve your process, build process to capture the riskiest parts of delivery. And so you don't have to guess about just you know what process you need to build. You also don't have to try and map the universe and build all of your processes at the same time. Once you get this basic assumptions and reality data feedback loop in place, you can just kind of look to that and it will direct you to where the biggest opportunities are for you to you know, create more predictability in the way that you deliver work. And predictability is the key to nice, smooth operations because you can plan to have somebody working from this time to this time and it actually happens. You can plan to spend this much money to get the website done and it actually happens. So it creates cash flow, it creates scalability. And it also allows you to forecast, which is really important. I think that's one of the crutches or the one of the big problems with running a service business is it's notoriously hard to be forward looking because it's hard to assess, you know, what it's going to take to get work done. But when you can standardize that and get some level of predictability there, then you're able to start forecasting, which takes a lot of the stress out of figuring out when you need to hire people and, you know, if you can take on work and when it can start and all that kind of stuff. So that was a long winded answer, but hopefully that gives everyone a little bit of uh, clarity on where to start and then what to do after that. I much prefer a long-winded answer of value than a this, 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 this. So yeah, there's some, there's a few things in there that have jumped out at me. This whole principle of um, uh, making sure that the, the the systems that you're using for measurement and inputs are congruent, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's fascinating because I talk a lot about business being a game, and your your you know, the money is you keeping score. And you've got to make sure that when you keep score, it's relevant to the game that you're playing. So there's, there's, there'd be no point um, having uh, uh, playing an NFL game because I know you're from the other side of the pond, even though you're Canadian. So I will do my best. To, I'll, I'll, I'll fit this in. But there's no point playing an American football game and using hockey scoring because yes. 
it just wouldn't work. Nobody would know what was going on. Nobody would know where they sat in the game, whether they're ahead of play, whether they're behind play. So having, having, knowing what the scoring mechanism is, and that, that has to be driven by the inputs, but you're, you're right. And I think it's, it's why some people just really struggle to read their accounts because a balance sheet, a PL, doesn't necessarily bear any resemblance at all to the function of your business. So yeah. to have measures that are related to the function of your business is, a, is I think that's a really, really um, influential point there, if people can grab hold of that. Yeah. I mean, therein lies another real challenge with running a service business, um, especially if you're small. The reality is accounting data is not really that useful unless it's accrual. And even the best accrual data is shady at best in a service business because, you know, figuring out percent complete, it's either going to be um, based on time, which, you know, has its, depending on what your operational model is, that has its pros and cons, or it's going to be based on percent complete, which is kind of a little bit more subjective, which also has its pros and cons. So financial data is not super reliable, especially on tight time horizons in a service business. So you have to have these kind of non-financial metrics to look at, to manage the day-to-day, -day, the week-to-week. Your accounting data might only be useful optimistically on like a monthly basis, yeah. unless you're a huge, you know, multi-hundred person uh, organization with like controllers and CFOs internally that are doing this stuff daily. But if you've just kind of got your accountant that's doing your stuff at the end of the year and a bookkeeper that's looking at your stuff monthly, and if you're under 10 employees, you're probably on a cash basis. Your books don't really tell you anything um, yeah. about the operations of the business on a tight time horizon. So it really behooves you to have some basics in place so that you can look at stuff on a tighter time horizon and get a sense of if things are going well or not. And, and again, get information on like where your focus needs to be. And if you're still freelancing and your goal is to start building a team, then you want to start paying attention to what your margins are, et cetera, and how long it takes to get things done so that you can actually start modeling and planning for, you know, what it's going to look like when you hire people to do this work instead of you. So, you know, regardless of what level you're at, super, super critical um, if you want to scale to get some of this basic stuff in place, some basic measurement. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it, it, it's about having not just knowing the score, but having a scoreboard. Because, you know, if you, if you stepped out of a tennis match and came back in after half an hour and there was no scoreboard, you would have absolutely no idea what was going on. You'd be able, and so to have that live data in front of you constantly is so important. And there, the, I think business owners miss that. You, you're right. Your accounts are great. They're useful, but they're only really useful to let you know what has happened, not what is happening. Yep. And they are two very, very different things. Cool. So, um, Another question I had for you is um, you talk a little bit about common mistakes you see probably specifically with agency, but business owners as well. Do you want to just highlight two or three that, you know, leave you grinding your jaw and your teeth at night in frustration when you see them yet again? Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can whittle it down to two or three. Um, I think the first one is not tracking time. And I want to just dispel a bunch of myths around tr time tracking and what it does and doesn't mean. So the first pushback I get a lot when I say tracking time is people conflate that with needing billing for time. And of course, those are not the same thing, um, you know, such, a, such that scoping and pricing are not the same thing. Scoping is about measuring what it costs you to deliver work. Pricing is about how much you ask the client for. They can be related, but they don't have to be. They're two completely different concepts. And I look at time tracking as the same thing. Um, 
the only purpose for tracking time is not to build a client. In fact, I would say that is the least important reason that you attract time. The main purpose is to track where 60% of your expenses are going to go, which is your direct labor costs for most service businesses. That's the most significant line on your PL. It'd be like running a restaurant and not knowing what it costs you to make a dish. It would just be crazy to do that. So um, you're just leaving a ton of money on the table if you're not tracking time. And it's the most important thing that you can do for the health of the business and for the quality of life of your team. Because as I mentioned earlier, if you're using that data to get better at scoping work, then there's less of a likelihood that you're going to put your team in a position where they have to work evenings, they have to work weekends to get a deadline met. So it's to everyone's benefit to be tracking time. The other thing I want to talk about on time tracking is timesheets is not the only way to track time. There are companies out there that use a resource plan. They use alternative methods to track time because their operational model allows for it. Most people will need to use uh, timesheets, but if you're in a situation where you have team members that work on the same client for a week or two weeks at a time, then you could probably use your resource plan as a time tracking tool and just have your project manager take care of that as opposed to getting the whole team to fill out timesheets. Cause I know it's a pain in the ass. Nobody loves tracking time, right? It's not the favorite part of my day, but it is still important. So I would say that's one of the biggest pet peeves is people just like not tracking their time. And then when it comes time to answer these questions they don't have the data and it's like, well, you kind of put yourself in this position. The second thing um, is this belief, this commonly held belief that working in a service business, working in an agency just means that you work 70 hours a week. And that's the expectation because that's how people did it in the past. And that that's what you need to do to be profitable. And that's just not true. You, if you run the business well, if you price properly, if you have the right margins, if you scope things properly and you run your business efficiently, you spend the right ratios on your overhead and your salaries and so on, then you should be able to net 25% annually and have everybody work a 40 hour work week and everyone's happy. So that, that really drives me nuts when agency owners are like, oh, well, you know, I came up and cut my teeth in the agency world in this kind of like abusive, uh, really strange time when <laughs> you just had to work yourself to death to earn your stripes. So it's like, well, um, you know, I appreciate that you want to project that on people today because you're bitter about it, but that's not actually necessary for you to run your business <laughs> profitably. Um, so that's a second thing that really grinds my gears. <laughs> and um, I would say that the last piece uh, really comes down to let me think about this. I have to, I have to prioritize because I've got a few other gripes to talk about, but um, I think the last piece, yeah, really comes down to this conflation of scope and price, right? Like if you've ever gone into an estimate and tried to lower the budget by lowering the hours, but the scope of the project didn't actually change, then, you know, what is the benefit of that? You're just lying to yourself that you, it doesn't benefit the client because it increases the likelihood that it's going to be a shit show to meet that deadline. And you're going to be, you know, because you estimated the wrong amount of time, it's just going to give you a false expectation in terms of what the economics of that project are going to be. So this idea that I think so many agency owners set themselves up for failure when they put a quote in front of the client, because they're not being honest with themselves about what the actual scope is and what the price is and what that actually means for, you know, what their margin is going to look like and, you know, how much time it's going to take. Um, and more broadly, not even really understanding like what should and shouldn't be looked at when you're scoping a project. Um, you know, I, I still hear a lot of uh, service business owners trying to figure out what their net margin is going to be on a project. And 
I don't even want to begin the rant on why that doesn't make any sense. What is net margin on a project? Like you, your overhead is not tied to a single project. So let's look at gross margin. Let's understand how to calculate that. Like there's just some fundamentals here where it's like, it's not complicated once you know how it works, but there's so much on the front end with, when it regard, with regards to pricing and scoping that gets done wrong, where you're just setting the whole business up for failure the moment that you put a price in front of the client because you haven't thought through that exercise properly. So that would have to be my top three. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, There's one of my kind of favorite comebacks when somebody asks me if they can reduce, if I can do anything on the price or if you know they, I can reduce the fee is always to say, yeah, of course. What would you like me to leave out? Because you, 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 it, something has to give. But most yeah. people, you know, most people don't do that. They just go, oh, okay, let me see what I can do for you. But they don't, you know, they don't, they don't actually reduce the scope at the same time as reducing the fee. And I think that's something that because people are eager to please, aren't they? And they, and they want, yeah. they want to do the work. And I mean, you know, it, it is possible that you're just going to lower the price and not change the scope, but you have to understand like your margin is going from X to Y and you mm. need to understand what your floor is. Like th this is the benefit of having a really good scoping process. You can go into a negotiation with a client and know exactly where your floor is. Know exactly. You can just, they, they come back with a budget. You pop it into your spreadsheet. It tells you either your gross margin or your average billable rate. And you know, right away, is that good or bad? Is that a go or a no go? Like having this data is really empowering in the sales process. Um, but to your point, a lot of folks uh, just don't think of it that way. Cool. So I, I have one question, one more question for you that I ask every guest that comes on here. Uh, and that is if, um, if you could go back in time to you know, the day, the hour before you started your first business, before you set out on your first venture, and you have all the knowledge and experience that you have now, and you could have 30 seconds with the Marcel of that time, what would you say to him? Keep it simple. I think uh, I, I was the perfect example of the entrepreneur that thought that more was more. And uh, it's taken me a long time and a lot of pain to realize that more is often less. Um, so do fewer things for fewer people and do them better and do them deeper and build a better process around them. Um, as opposed to trying to solve all problems for all people and just kind of drowning in the complexity of trying to manage all of that. Become famous for a few. That's it. Yeah, yeah. that's got to be the, the, the key. I love that. Marcel, if people want to get hold of you, you've, you've been a fascinating guest. I've learned a lot. And, um, a lot of, well, a lot of what you said has just got me kind of nodding my head in agreement and you're you know, definitely singing from a, a parallel hymn sheet. And uh, it's really fascinating. But if people want to reach out to you and connect, what's what's the easiest way to do that? Absolutely. Yeah. So definitely find me on LinkedIn, Marcel Petipa on LinkedIn. And I'll, I'll share that with you, Ash, if you want to include that in the show yeah, notes or, or whatever. And we've also got some resources. So as I mentioned earlier, I've committed a lot of my time over the last three years to creating what I believe is the best content on the planet about some of these specific things. So check out our blog at paraketo.com. Um, and also check out the free agency profitability toolkit, which has a series of videos as well as free spreadsheet templates and report templates that we use with our consulting clients. And you can get access to them for free and get training videos on how to use them that will help you implement these fundamentals that I talked about without spending any money or buying any additional products from us or anyone else. Um, and that's really just because my mission is to have my marketing serve more people than my product ever does. And I just, I just want to see everyone be successful. So definitely go check out those resources if you want to dig into the specifics and understand exactly what it is that I was talking about today. If you have any questions, 
reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to, to nerd out and chat with you. That's really cool. And that's a really kind offer as well. I, I hope people take you up on it because if your resources are, are anywhere near um, as articulate as you've been today and useful, they will be incredibly valuable for people. So I would suggest people go and check them out. That's really kind of you. Uh, Marcel, it's been a, a pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. You've been listening to Winning at Business. We really hoped you enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you have topics you'd like us to cover, get in touch and we'll do our best to make it happen. Don't forget, you can also get your copy of Hitting the Wall, the book that inspired this podcast from Amazon and other retailers. Bye for now until the next episode.